wake up here. Uh, well, now that we're past that, <clears throat> let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in song. Uh, just great to join our hearts, our voices together and praise the Lord. Let's, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the fellowship that we have together as a body. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who lives within us and helps us. We pray, Lord, for you to help us now as we look into your word, uh, to understand it, to get, get the meaning out of it so that we can uh, walk with you in a closer way. And Father, we thank you for your word and how much it means to us and pray that we can be faithful to you through it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you know, as you think of the early church that was born soon after Jesus ascended into heaven, following his glorious resurrection from the dead, and then how he sent the Holy Spirit who empowered the early disciples so they could go bravely and boldly preaching the gospel message to thousands of Jewish worshipers at the Feast of Pentecost, a feast which celebrates the harvest coming in. We thank, it's a feast of thankfulness because now God has given us food for another year. And then seeing that day, that day of Pentecost, where 3,000 people came to Christ as their Messiah and Savior as Peter preached the message to them. Now, <clears throat> with all that power of God and God behind everything that was happening, you'd think perhaps that this new, this brand new pristine work of God, the church, that was born on that day, that Feast of Pentecost, you would think that it would just soar to unbelievably heavenly heights. With nothing but sweet, sincere fellowship throughout the church. And hordes of people turning to Christ all throughout the earth. Kind of get that feeling like, here it goes, it's starting and it's coming. How could anything go wrong? Now, with that kind of a beginning and the power of God behind it, you just think, man, this is going to just take off and be, be forever exciting and always successful. But we know, as we worked our way through about half of the book of Acts, we know that it didn't take very long for the church to run into trouble. You know, when you think of God reigning above and us human beings, we're a fallen race, aren't we? We fell in the garden and we've been fighting that fall ever since. And we can find trouble in any kind of circumstances, no matter how good they are, can't we? But you know, God, who is glorious, is perfect in every way. He is full of wisdom, love, honor, kindness, and his plans include us in so many ways. He uses us, us fallen creatures, and he uses us, 
you know, throughout his plan. And I think about so many things and everything being a mix of God and his glory and his power. He can do all things. And then humanity. And I think that God and humanity is, there's a mix of that almost all throughout. You know, Jesus was God and man. The Bible was written by man under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's God and man again. We Christians are human beings dwelt by God's Holy Spirit. The church is Christ's body on earth filled full of fallen people. He is the head. We are his body. We make our own decisions, but we are told to live under or by the leadership or influence of the Holy Spirit. So it's God and man. And as easy as it is for us humans to mess things up, God still has us as his main actors. And even though we Christians are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit, we can still make a mess out of things just about anytime, anywhere. And so this morning, we're going to see something so wonderful coming from God, but threatened by humanity's knuckleheadedness. And it's in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. And it talks about teachers coming to the church up in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were. They were kind of stationed there for a good while. And some people were coming to that church from the Jerusalem church, and they were teaching something very controversial. But they were teaching it very boldly. And it was causing trouble. And in fact, that teaching if it kept on going, could severely hurt the church. But I want to read to you, or we can read together, this uh, first five verses of Acts chapter 15. It says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. You know, when they talk about going from Jerusalem to another place, they usually talk about going down, even though the topography might be going up. But, and, and they're going from Judea, or, yeah, Judea, north to Antioch, so I would just call it going up, but <clears throat> the Bible often calls it going down. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So these teachers who apparently were a part of the church down in Jerusalem, 
they traveled to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were, and they started teaching that no one can be saved unless they were circumcised according to the law of Moses. Now, Paul and Barnabas would have none of that. Their thoughts were absolutely not. It is not, circumcision is not required for salvation. So it became quite an issue. So they sent, the church sent Paul and Barnabas to go to Antioch, um, go to the mother church in Jerusalem, and then look into this matter and speak to the people there. So is circumcision really required for a person to be saved? Why would some even think that? Paul and Barnabas' message, when they were traveling around leading people to Christ, their message was, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the Jews were God's chosen people, weren't they? And every Jewish male was supposed to be circumcised to be part of the covenant, the Jewish covenant with God, God and the Jews. And if they refused to be circumcised, they wouldn't be part of the covenant. And these teachers that came from Jerusalem up to Antioch, they were promoting the belief that all of God's people still need to follow the Mosaic law. And a key part of that law was every male that wants to be a part of God's chosen people needs to be circumcised. Following the law of Moses. And that was a sign of ownership by God. Circumcision. But, <clears throat> you know, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't like what was said. And so they had this, this discussion and they decided to send Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem and maybe talk this out. And it seems that Luke, as he's telling this in his writing, it seems he's making a special point that Paul and Barnabas' journey to Jerusalem was very positive. And I want to show you the, uh, the difference between the two actors. <laughs> um, wait, I better go back here. We're going back to verse 3. The church sent them on their way. And now, now here's Luke talking about how Paul and Barnabas went, went to Jerusalem. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. So it's very positive, isn't it? When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done. So Luke is saying, you know, their ministry was very positive. It, 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 it garnered much fruit. And then which we saw a minute ago. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. It's like Paul and Barnabas were getting everyone excited and joyful by their report of the Gentiles turning to God. Everywhere they went, Gentiles were turning to God. And then the circumcision people stand up and say, you've got to be circumcised to be saved. And they just throw the law of Moses right into their faces. After they had been freed from the law that condemned. 
So who is right here? Circumcision was a very key part of God's covenant with Israel, as was the law. And circumcision was a part of that law. Have you ever been confused or wondered about how the Old Testament law fits in with our Christian lives? I know that can be confusing. And even today, people differ on that. How does the law fit into our period of grace here? Are we supposed to be keeping it? The Bible says the law is good and holy. Many today think that we should be keeping it. Why might that be right or why might that be wrong? Well, the Apostle Peter is going to say something from his experience. Look at verses 6 through 12. I mean, this issue was a major issue. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. That's when they went down to Jerusalem. <clears throat> After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Peter's talking about that time he went to Cornelius' house. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? He's saying, we were never able to you know, fulfill the law. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. <clears throat> you remember that Peter was called to go to Cornelius' house, who was a centurion, you know, a Gentile centurion, and he was to go there and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And Cornelius was a man who honored God. He wasn't saved. He wasn't a Jew. He was a man who honored God and gave money to help build things for the Lord. As Peter was explaining, you probably remember this, he was in there with them, went into the house, and he had guests there. And as he was explaining the gospel message, right while he was talking, the Holy Spirit came down upon them. And all the people there listening, wanting to know the truth, they started speaking in tongues. And that was the sign that the Holy Spirit had come upon them. So, guess what? These Gentiles that Peter was visiting, they became children of God. It was evident because the Holy Spirit was in them without circumcision. And so Peter says that God purified their hearts by faith. It was through faith, right? Grace through faith. That means as Peter was explaining salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, the Gentiles in the house believed in Christ as their Savior, and then God sent to them the Holy Spirit to establish them, and he proved it by their speaking in tongues as evidence to the Christians 
that these Gentiles had become part of the church of Jesus Christ. Because at the beginning, it was just Jews that were of the church of Jesus Christ. And now look at verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Peter's referring to the time... Well, Peter with Cornelius, he did not need to be circumcised. And he received the Holy Spirit. And then we have Paul and Barnabas speaking to the Gentiles about salvation in Christ with God confirming their message with signs and wonders, miracles from God. The evidence clearly points to that the, the fact that circumcision is not required to enter into a covenant with God in this age. You know, people still struggle with that. And they did that, those people down in the church in Jerusalem, they were, they were demanding that. It was, it was a problem, still is today, but we see right here, there's no problem. So now, <clears throat> just look at verses 13 through 21. They're still at this meeting. It says, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from among the Gentiles. That's when he went to Cornelius' house. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. You see, he says, this is the scriptures talked about this. After this, I will return to rebuild David's fallen tent, David's kingdom. I will rebuild it because that was, you know, David was the, this, he was, uh, Jesus was David's son, and he would take over his throne. He will rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild and will restore it, and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. So you can see the plan for the Gentiles is in the Old Testament. Things from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, this is Peter, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's don't put, you know, obstacles in their way that, that don't need to be there. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain, and he's going to mention some things here that would be abhorrent to the Jews, and so they could keep themselves from these things in order not to make the Jews stumble. <clears throat> Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols. That's when they would offer food to idols and people would eat it later. From sexual immorality from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So we have Peter with Cornelius not needing to be circumcised. And so circumcision just was not, you know, when you go through it, and even as the Bible talks about it towards the future, it won't be circumcision that saves people. 
in with the uh, the letter to the the letter to the um, church in Antioch was just saying, let's don't do these things that would really um, be a stumbling block for the Jews. So the leadership group from the mother church in Jerusalem sent that letter to the church in Antioch to address this matter that these Pharisee, well, the group of the Pharisee Christians had stirred up. So now, look as we read in this next section. It says, The apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men to send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals. These were kind of like dietary laws in the the Jewish uh, community, and the Gentiles really didn't go by these. So they're saying, could you hold back on this in front of the Jews? And from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, well, let's look at that in a minute. So I call it the mother church in Jerusalem. They send a letter to the church at Antioch telling them they don't have to be circumcised to be saved. And there are two points here I'd like to make concerning this whole matter of whether the people had to be circumcised in order to be a child of God. Or we might say in order to be included in God's covenant. First of all, this incident here in chapter 15 had the potential to be extremely dangerous and damaging to the growing Christian church. You know, to us, it may not seem like that major of a deal, but the way that they were thinking, what the background they had come from, it could just kind of almost like destroy their faith. If these people belonging to the party, the Pharisees would have been able to push their errant doctrine you know, requiring circumcision, that would have been really bad news for the church. 
It would have just probably split the church, divided the church. And that would have sunk, well, actually, that would have snuck salvation by works into the church. And it was a young church. And it could have taken them completely off the true message of salvation by grace through faith. It could have also reinforced the wall between Jew and Gentile, which these incidents were made to break down. This whole thing about removing circumcision, you know, from requirement to be saved, that was bringing Jews and Gentiles together. It was the whole purpose of it. And that's why Peter went into a house full of Gentiles and the Holy Spirit came down. There was no circumcision. He sent Peter to introduce the gospel message to the Gentiles, which brought the Gentiles into the family of God. It was an enormous step in the plan of God to take the salvation message to the nations. Cornelius was like the first step. And we saw that after that incident of Peter at Cornelius' house and the Holy Spirit coming upon them, how the Gentiles began hearing the gospel and the message started being spread to the nations. We read about that. And you know, it makes you wonder about those teachers who came to Antioch. They left Jerusalem, traveled to Antioch, which was a good distance. And they get, they get there just to fight against salvation by grace through faith. They didn't like that message. Now, on the one hand, they, I assume, were brought up believing that they were to keep the law of Moses because they were Jews. So we might give them a little bit of grace on that end. But on the other hand, what was it in them that wanted to reject God's offer of salvation by grace through faith? I mean... Even after they heard Paul and Barnabas tell their stories of God's miracles, when they went down, they told all the stories of how people were coming to faith, the Gentiles, and God was doing miracles to confirm that. And the fact that they were a part of the Jerusalem church. It said they came from Jerusalem, and they were there when Paul and Barnabas got there. They were part of the Jerusalem church with Peter and other apostles you know, teaching there. So I'm thinking they had enough teaching, and they had enough exposure to realize that circumcision was no longer necessary. I'm pretty skeptical of these teachers. I'm skeptical they may have been control freaks who just wanted to catch people doing wrong. We've probably all known people like that. Why would someone even want to stay with the Mosaic Law when they could delight in the freedom that comes with faith, through faith with Christ? Why would they even want to stay and do that? What is it in a person that wants to shut others down when they find freedom? It happens, doesn't it? Well, let me repeat one of Peter's statements. 
when he was explaining how God worked, you know, hey, when he went to Cornelius' house, he said, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. And he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith, not by the law of Moses. He purifies our hearts through faith, not by trying to keep a list of commandments. And it's so good that that is the way, right? Because nobody has ever, ever been able to keep the list of commandments. Only Jesus. And he was God and man. Now, isn't it better to have purified hearts by faith? And you know, because it's by grace, and it's that great, gift of grace from God to us, that our hearts are drawn to him in love and are thankful to him for his amazing grace, for his forgiveness. You know, the only way you can be saved is to have all your sins forgiven. And the only way that forgiveness comes is because Jesus paid the price on the cross. You want to push people back into the law that doesn't save anyone? When you're saved by grace, you want to live your religion by making sure others do everything to see Christ. Whereas the, the Pharisee group, they want to make sure everything, everybody does everything the way they think we should do them. Now, <clears throat> I'm kind of sorry we have to end our talk today with this last note we're going to look at. Not really, but anyway, it shows how fallen humans are the ones God has chosen to carry out his glorious plan. So look at the end of the chapter, 36 through 41. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, John Mark, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So Mark went back home. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, that little passage has been debated and talked over for centuries. Who was right? Paul or Barnabas? Paul to leave him behind so the work could get done. Barnabas to take him with him, give him another chance to try to help him. Paul was focused on the mission, wasn't he? He felt that the mission was way too important for risking someone to leave them in the middle of the mission. Whereas Barnabas, his focus was more on restoring Mark, John Mark. 
He was willing to risk another desertion, even hurting the mission. Paul was mission-minded. Barnabas was more looking to John Mark and trying to build him in the faith and restore him. Both had good reasons for their choices. One was the more mission, one was more the person. And you know, it seemed to turn out good in the end. Paul was able to complete his mission without worrying about someone leaving. He chose Silas. And Barnabas was able to help John Mark and restore his confidence. And he did get back into the work for the Lord. And at the end of Paul's life, he asks for Mark to come to visit him. Because Mark could help him, he said. But here is where we started this morning. The all-wise, powerful, loving God uses us flawed, mistake-prone, fallen human beings to accomplish his amazing work. I mean, what God is doing through us fallen, mistake-prone people, it's amazing. People are coming to God and, and giving, gaining eternal life. And so we think, well, you know, how can this succeed with fallen human beings? But in the end, it will, won't it? Even though we make mistakes along the way, and it's because of the wisdom and the love and the power and the goodness of God. And we just need to hang in there, don't we? As as fallen as we are, we need to just hang in there and do what we're told and try, try again, because our commander knows exactly what he's doing and he's leading the charge. 